0: a healthy correction overall. You know, there's a lot of investors obviously sitting with a lot of gains on these stocks. And when you see this volatility in the market, it's natural to see some selling.
1: Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast in these timely episodes we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets the economy and investing brought to you by bmo global asset management hello and thanks for joining us today while the latest market sell-off is a cause for concern the real question is how to advise your clients through an extended season of volatility in this episode Mark Race, Chris Heeks, and Matt Montemuro attempt to answer this question and examine ways in which to ensure a return on the ups and protect capital on the downside. Specifically, this episode will also provide you with valuable insights on emerging markets and financials, and why these sectors should be considered worthy contenders for your long-term satellite positions. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player, and sharing it with your friends and colleagues.
2: Hello, I'm your host, Mark Reyes. I'm the head of product for BMO GAM Canada, covering ETFs and mutual funds. Today we have Chris Heeks, a portfolio manager on our ETF desk, focusing on equity strategies and derivative strategies. And as well, Matt Monmuro, who focuses on our fixed income ETFs. So thanks Chris and Matt for joining us this morning. So let's uh, let's get right into things. Uh, and we'll start with the market activity from the last week, where you know for the first time since uh, we've entered this recovery, you know we really saw the top of the market come off, uh, particularly off the technology driven trade. What has led to this uh, quick correction is further caution on our equity side still warranted, you know, talking about our defensive growth recommendation. Or uh, with this dip, should investors be viewing this as a more aggressive um, buying option? And you know, as you look at this and maybe talk about our quality trade a little bit, um, you know, some comments as well as how this uh, correction has impacted the market across sectors. I'll give back to Chris. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, pretty hard to ignore
0: the sell-off we've had the last. Um, well, since September second was. With the peak, so call it six days. Uh, the Nasdaq is down about 11%. Um, it's uh, yeah, certainly uh, a quite a quite a strong sell-off. I, you know, in my view, really it was you know an overbought uh, situation on the Nasdaq. Um, you see, you see where the sell-off was concentrated. Um, certainly, the banks, you know, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, uh, Google, all saw their share of sell-offs. Um, you saw greater sell-offs on those really uh, tech leverage names like Tesla, Nvidia, and Zoom. Uh, so, you know, I think a lot of it was, you know, the Nasdaq was simply overbought. If you look at the the trailing um, price earnings ratio for Nasdaq, you know, kind of the last five years going into the COVID crisis, kind of the forward PE kind of oscillates around twenty to twenty five. And, you know, we do expect the NASDAQ to have a certain amount of a heightened PE versus, say, the S&P 500. Uh, but that forward PE kind of jumped up, almost touched 35. Uh, so it's retraced back a little bit. Um, you know, just for per for, per for, for color, you know, the, the S&P 500 was up, or sorry, was down, um, you know, down much less. It's it sort outperformed of by about 6% during this time. You know, so I think... Um, you know, it's a healthy correction overall. I think, you know, I don't think it's a rotation so much as a, as a correction. You know, there's a lot of investors obviously sitting with a lot of gains on these stocks. And when you see this volatility in the market, it's natural to see some selling. You know, I still think net-net, you know, the companies in the NASDAQ are some of the very best in the world. So, uh, so at this point, I think we're going to say it's a, a correction. I still think there could be more pain to come because if you look at that price earnings ratio, you know it, it almost touched 35. We're we're down to about 31 now. 31 is still obviously, you know, quite a bit above 25. So, you know, potentially more corrections to come in the Nasdaq. Uh, but as a long term, uh, we still like a lot of the companies in the Nasdaq. You know, with regards to our quality, I think it's it's pretty interesting. You know, as you know, we've got a 20% overweight to tech on the quality. So naturally. Um, you might be somewhat concerned about that exposure. So, you know, ZUQ was down 6.3% you know, in the last six days. Again, ZSP, the S&P 500 was down 5.6. So a little bit of outperformance, or sorry, underperformance there, about half a percent. But again, I think it goes back to the construction of the quality exposure. It's really leveraging um, actual fundamental strength. So it's leveraging profitability. It's leveraging uh, strong balance sheets, um, and and, and it's also exposed to to, um, underweight leverage. So I think all those fundamental things are really benefiting uh, ZUQ. And so you see kind of these more um, high-risk plays in the NASDAQ, such as, say, a Zoom Media or a Tesla. Um, Certainly those have suffered a lot, but kind of the core strength of ZUQ um, doing pretty well. And also, you know, recognizing that some of the other sectors within ZUQ are also outperforming the NASDAQ. Uh, so overall, I think that the positioning is working very well. Um, if you look at ZLU, low volatility, which we haven't been talking about a ton, it outperformed the S&P by about three and a half percent. It outperformed the NASDAQ, you know, by, by much more. So. Um, that's outperforming, as well as kind of this more cyclical satellite positions like dividends and financials that we've been talking about. Um, they, they've really, you know, our U.S. banks and Canadian dollars said BK is only down 1% over this time. So I think overall the positioning holds up well. Defensive growth is still, I think, a good place to be. Um, I think it's a healthy correction, but again, when we have these corrections, you want to be in companies that are fundamentally sound, I think that's what you get with the U.S. quality. You know, we're not chasing returns here. So, again, the defensive growth, I think, is a good option and uh, has served investors pretty well through this sell-off. And, and um, you know, and potentially, you know, should we see more of the same behavior? I think we're overall positioned pretty well with the quality, a little bit of low ball, and, and some of the satellite positions.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Chris. You know, I, I think you raise a good point about, you know, it being more of a healthy uh, Correction than anything else, it doesn't necessarily indicate uh, something further. And you know, Tesla is probably the most interesting part of that story. Of course, not getting into the S and P 500, uh, and right around the same time, announcing uh, selling some shares as well. Uh, but when you look at the return over the course of the year, certainly no one would have complained if uh, if they'd bought it anywhere near the lows. Yeah, exactly. And even look at the Nasdaq; it's it's down
0: 10% on a weekly basis, so it's still up. Twenty-two percent this year. So, um, yeah, I think it's I think it's really at this point a healthy correction, and you know, it probably it probably needs to correct a little bit more net net, uh, but doesn't change our kind of long term outlook on these
2: stocks. And I think quality is a great exposure going forward. Great, thanks, Chris. So we've, uh, we've crossed another month in. Uh, so it gives us an opportunity to look back at uh, some of the flows. So we can look at the uh, strong ETF flows once again in August. Uh, we've got the year-to-date total now over, uh, I believe it's 31 billion. And despite low yields and, and concerns around fixed income marketplace, uh, fixed income ETFs have really led the way with aggregate exposures like our ZAG or ZAG ETF capturing the, the most flow. So I'll send this over to Matt. Uh, Where do you see this flow coming from? Are are investors moving out of a cash trade and looking for duration protection? Uh, Is it taking some equity risk off? Uh, Is it lengthening bonds? A few different areas this could be coming from. And I find it quite interesting to be entering this trade, you know, despite the yield compression that has already occurred, uh, you know, where people might still be expecting a little bit more. So, Matt, your, your thoughts on the aggregate bond trade, please.
3: Yeah, that's a great question, Mark. Uh, we continue to see strong retail and institutional flow into our aggregate bond products as investors look to navigate, you know, what's to come this fall. Uh, From what I've seen, uh, the flow into Zag and other aggregate bond products uh, looks to be twofold. Uh, One, many clients have been sitting in cash for months and basically can't withstand the performance drag any longer. And two, uh, uncertainty clouds the markets and aggregate bonds are a simple way for investors to stay in the game while also providing some protection. So let's go over both of uh, both of these factors and, and what I've been seeing. So we'll start with number one. We all knew that the math exodus into products yielding you know, sub 40 basis points could only last so long. Uh, protection was a strong thesis in April, but as the markets have continued to rally, client statements have consistently shown a cash drag on performance. Bank of Canada and Fed programs uh, have exasperated that differential Uh, causing spreads to come in quite significantly and causing investors to second-guess if they really need this protection. If central banks are the safety net here in this market and have continued excess capacity, can you really sit on the sideline any longer? And that's a question I hear from a lot of investors right now. Uh, And that's one of the main reasons I hear that investors are moving cash uh, from the sidelines or into their, from their money markets into ZAG. So now on to number two as to why ZAG versus other products. So just because investors are moving out of cash doesn't mean they have to choose aggregate bonds. I think the reason they are doing so is because of the increased uncertainty in the market. So if you look in the economy, the election, COVID second wave fears, equity market volatility, bond market volatility, inflation, you know the list goes on. I think the headline list that we see in the markets right now is significant, and uh, exposure to the aggregate bond universe doesn't perfectly answer all these questions, but at least it it, it provides a solution to a lot of these outcomes. Uh, and regardless of what happens this fall in terms of volatility, uh, expected versus unexpected. Zag in the aggregate bond exposure does provide uh, at least some positive outcome. So for example, if the equity markets crash, the longer duration should provide some protection. If credit spreads blow out, government exposure in, in, in the universe provides some downside protection. If volatility is overblown and central bank bond buying programs continue to tighten spreads, then you still have some upside with your provincial and corporate bond exposure. So all this being said, I think the aggregate bond trade provides a safe way to stay in the game and stay in the market and stay invested and navigate this uncertainty without having to exactly pick and choose where you want to be and really put all your eggs in one basket. So I look at it and and a lot of the conversations I'm having with both retail and institutional investors is, you know, there's so many uncertainties in the market right now that aggregate bonds at least provide me. Uh, the ability to have some downside protection while also participating in the upside, and, and I think that uh, right now gives investors some comfort going into what what may be one of the most volatile periods that we've seen in years.
2: Great, thanks for that, Matt. No, it's uh, it's an interesting move, and you know, as you say, it's probably coming from a few different directions at that point. So it's it's interesting to see the the different investor uh, goals coming up with the same outcome.
1: You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. We also encourage you to tune in to our deep dive episodes where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM's product suite. Our latest episode takes a sweeping look at alternatives focusing on gold, infrastructure, and REITs to help investors complete their portfolios with investments that are lowly correlated to equities and fixed income. Check it out, episode number 29 in this same podcast series.
2: Staying with fixed income, uh, we also saw some pretty strong inflows into the corporate bonds. Uh, and that's despite, you know, spreads coming back in and obviously concerned about equity valuations and perhaps risk into the fall. So can you touch on again, where we are with with corporate bond spreads compared to pre-COVID? Um, and we talked previously about more of a rotation into higher quality or even into government. Um, so, knowing that we have the great uh, segmented fixed income approach, uh, your thoughts about how you would adjust fixed income uh, into the fall? Thanks.
3: Yeah. So we we're now on uh, we're through five consecutive months of, of credit spread tightening. You know, we did it did start with with the one of the largest credit spread, spread credit spread blowouts that we have seen. But we continue to see spreads come in. But August started to slow down a little bit uh, and had a less tightening than we've seen in months past. We see spreads slightly wider uh, than pre-COVID levels, but hovering around historical levels. So, you know, pre-COVID we were already at historical tight. So we are in and around that historical range right now. Not all spread compression is the same, however. Uh, much, of the, much of this compression is sector-centric, so financials as a whole basically are right on top of pre-COVID levels. Uh, and term-centric, which is basically under seven years to maturity, we've seen uh, significant spread tightening, likely due to the Bank of Canada bond-buying program. Some sectors like real estate, though, remain hundreds of basis points wider than pre-COVID levels. And right now, their their business models are being questioned in real time. So, you know, we don't know if those, uh, although it's a small part of the universe, we don't know if those real estate spreads will ever come back in. So why do we continue to see flow uh, if we're at near historical tights, you know, given the uncertainty that I just spoke about in the economic backdrop? So in my opinion, I think this is a search for yield trade, as you know we're in a period of historically low rates, and it's kind of forced investors to move into riskier assets to at least attempt to satisf- satisfy some pre- uh, predetermined income needs. So where do I see this all going? Uh, I think there'll be a flurry of new issuance in September, which will widen spread slightly. Uh, and increased secondary trading in the market, which we haven't seen for much of the summer. And then moving into the fall, I do worry that spread levels are near unsustainable, uh, given the risk at, uh, landscape that that we see in front of us. I would look for some protection and move toward more quality assets. Uh, take my profits from you know five consecutive months of spread compression. You know, take that off the table, you know, kind of cash in on the profits you've made and move to a more quality asset base. So if I was going to stay in corporate because you, you want that additional yield, I would look to quality bonds, so rate, uh, rated A and above uh, in a product is of Q B we offer. Uh, so that maintains your, your corporate spread uh, but does pr- uh, protect you and protect your portfolio uh, from some high beta credit names. Or uh, I would uh, move to the more government um, protection. So look at something like ZMP, so mid-provincial or PL, so long provincial or ZGB, so our government, which will give you additional yield over federals through uh, provincial spreads, which haven't come in as much as corporates, but still would provide you that duration exposure and less torque that we would see in corporates. So if we do experience Uh, equity market uncertainty and volatility, that duration should be an offset and your government exposure should provide you some protection uh, if, if that does come to fruition. Overall, I think this is one of the perfect environments where segmented exposure and the ability to pick where you want to position yourself on the yield and credit curve really comes into play and really helps uh, you outperform, uh, your peers because if you are able to identify the risks you see, you can then plan against it. And, and for me, I see the risks, um, you know, t- spreads at, at historically tight levels. Um, I would want to take that, that profit and, and protect myself and look at something more on the government side or on the quality corporate side, which will, you know, hopefully provide that downside protection during this, you know, uncertain, you know, next three to four months.
2: Great, thanks for that, Matt. And I think that's consistent with you know some of the conversations we've been having. So you know it's interesting to see the flow still chasing that trade. You know, it's it's a good idea for advisors to think about uh, getting in front of that with a little bit more safety on the on the fixed income side of the book. So another area that continues to see strong inflows is, is emerging markets such as our ZEM ETF. Uh, we know about the strong returns that have made this region you know attractive of late uh, so over to Chris, do you think this is a question of chasing returns or do you see this as a much more sustained rotation uh, maybe based on the changing makeup of the uh of the e m indexes
0: thanks uh thanks mark and that's you know it's tough to follow some of matt's comments on you know, you talk about the safety that fixed income provides and, and then move straight to emerging markets. But I think, um, you know, I think if I had one comment, it, you know, it's certainly staying balanced in your asset allocation is always very important. That's, a, you know, and that's, that's a big part of the reason why I think we've well, seen some flows to fixed income. Um, and then equities have to do what, what you know, what they've, they've often been called on to do in the past, which is provide the a, provide a source of growth in the portfolio. Um, I think that's where ZEM really, you know, fits in. You know, we've been talking about it a few times on this call and highlighting how, you know, well the exposure is performed. Obviously, the U.S. has been, you know, the darling of the equity market for for many years now. You know, one-year basis, is up 14%, our our S&P 500 ETF. Uh, If you look at the other broad betas, not so impressive. Uh, MSCI ETH is up 2% and Canada is up 1%. Uh, certainly, tech plays a strong role in those S&P 500 returns. Uh, ZEM is up 10%. So, by far, you know, this is um, kind of beating the other headline broad beta indexes. So, to answer your question, are we chasing returns or is this a sustained rotation? Uh, probably a bit of both. I think, you know, the returns are um, more so, um, you know, a reflection of the, of the changing exposure of EM and some of the benefits that can give investors. You know, I think, you know, emerging markets, I think as investors, we still tend to think of emerging markets of 20 years ago um, that were investing in company or excuse me, investing in countries that are, you know, very, very early on in their stage of development, you know, heavily exposed to resources, energy and materials. It's, it's really quite a bit different now. Um, so as you mentioned, China is now 40% of the emerging market index. Um, it's likely going higher as um, the A shares get further and further incorporated into uh, the MSCI index over time. Um, and China is, I mean, there's just, there's just no way around it. They're a global powerhouse and they have been the strongest driver of returns here to date. So I think, you know, it goes back to investors. Certainly we're all gonna lean into the US as, as we've continued to, done, to do over the last few years, but we need to find other sources of return and this is where um, emerging markets, I think, can come in and help um, offset the offset uh, the seeking returns from the U.S. Um, as Matt mentioned, there's a lot of volatility in the U.S. right now. There's, there's an election coming, obviously. Uh, they're still struggle, struggling with corona. Um, if you look at EM, certainly there's some struggles with coronavirus as well, um, particularly uh, India and Brazil. But China, you know, China's done a very good job of that. And if you look at the return of MSCI China, you'll see that they had very little drawdown through March. So um, I think it's a good diversifying exposure to the U.S. You know, you look at EM now, again, this is not the EM of 20 years ago. You've got a really strong consumer base. Just think of how many consumers there are in China alone. Um, I think I I just saw the trailer for the new Bond movie last night, and I noticed they've got this, uh, you know, as they do, like pretty extravagant kind of sequence on the Great Wall of China, You're right? That tells you something right there. They're, they're seeking to appeal to a Chinese audience. And I think, um, you know, I think that's just a kind of a little anecdotal proof point of, of how important this consumer base is. If you Look at what's driving returns this year. It's uh, been discretionary in, in tech as well. You know, tech is kind of a global theme, and China has that exposure as well. So uh, there's a lot of things to like in the U.S. I don't think it's just a return-chasing trade. Um, You know, it's a great long-term story. The Canadian pension plan went on the record last year of saying, they, I believe it was they wanted to have a a third of their portfolio exposed to emerging markets. Now, obviously, the Canadian um, pension plan has a very, very long-term time horizon. You know, a third of of exposure into EM is, is probably not appropriate for most retail investors, but but, at, but most long-term retail investors can benefit from some EM exposure in their portfolio. Um, again, this is where we're seeing a lot of growth um, still in terms of GDP rates. There's a lot of um, people getting smartphones for the first time. There's a lot of infrastructure to build out. So um, I, I think it's something that um, investors should certainly look at. And if they don't have any, you know, consider adding some ZEM to the portfolio uh, to provide growth over the long term.
2: Thanks, Chris. A uh, couple of good mentions there. I didn't expect the James Bond, but I liked it. And uh, <laughs> uh, as well, you know, the, the validation of the, of the pension plan going after it is, is certainly an indicator for those of us building portfolios uh, that there's a there's a need to have that in there. And you know, if you still think about it as yesterday's emerging markets, it's it's time to have another result.
3: Just want to ask one last quick one uh,
2: before we check on the line. Uh, Again, related to flows, a bit surprising to see outflows from financial uh, considering, you know, the strong bank earnings and performance that we were talking about in a previous call. Uh, Thankfully, this is not shared by our uh, Equoid banks at EB. But post earnings, looking into the fall, uh, does this merit a continued satellite position, Chris, for you uh, in the Canadian banks? Thanks.
0: Uh, yeah, no, we're still, I think we're still quite constructive. Uh, you look at the month of August, was a very good one for ZEB. It was up almost 10%, 9.8% on the month. You know, as you mentioned, you know, in general, the earnings were positive. Uh, we saw earnings beats across most of the banks. You know, more importantly, perhaps we saw those provisions for bad loans were, you know, again, in general, lower than expected. So, you know, very good quarter. Um You know, does that mean every quarter is going to be sequentially better? Probably not. You know, we're probably going to have an increase in in corona cases. We're already seeing it right now in Ontario, but we're probably going to have a fall increase. But I think net-net, when you look at the recovery path over two years, say, you know, and we still largely believe in that. We believe we're going to recover. Um, There's going to be bumps in the road that we're going to recover. I think it's an an attractive exposure. Um, They're still at a 5% average dividend yield on the Canadian banks. And again, we've done a lot of work, and we, you know, we think buying at that um, valuation is, is a pretty attractive level over time when you look at the kind of the forward one-year, forward two-year returns. So your average dividend yield on the bank is about 4%. So to get from 5 to 4 you know, those equities have to go up about 25% to get to that long-term average. So again, um, you know, if you're assuming a recovery over the next couple of years, You know, the the numbers are on your side and you're collecting a very strong dividend, you know, 5% right now while while you wait for that recovery to really set in. So, you know, I think it's still an exposure where, you know, if we get a a, a bit of a resurgence in corona cases, it's going to, you know, it's going to negatively impact credit. As Matt mentioned, it's going to negatively impact the banks. But I think as we work through that issue on a more aggregate, you know, longer term basis, um, you know, they the likely path of banks is they have to go higher from here. So um, they've had a couple of good months. And I think the outlook over one to two years is still good. So I think we are still pretty comfortable holding it as a satellite in the portfolio.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Chris. Good to hear the the consistency, despite uh, what perhaps some of the flows have been telling us. So at this point, uh, I want to pause and see if there's any questions on the line for Chris and Matt. Hello, gentlemen. Just wanted to
3: have your views on dividend funds and cover quality TF. Is it a good timing? Where does it fit for you in terms of portfolio constructions?
2: Thanks again for this uh, great uh, morning call.
0: Uh, thanks for the question. I'll jump in on that one. You know, we talked about uh, off the top kind of recent market activity. You know, NASDAQ was down ten, eleven 11%. The quality. And the S&P were down, call it five and a half to low six percent. You know the dividend, the ZDY, U.S. dividend was only down two percent. So again, I think you know we've been talked about dividends as you know dividends is a more of a cyclical exposure. Uh, it's more of a value-based exposure. That we've talked on other calls. Value has not had a good start to the year. Value did not perform well during the COVID sell-off. Um, but we're seeing um, you know that valuation. I think is lending at a certain Bit of a tailwind now, and, and we're hearing more and more talk about expecting to see a little bit of a, you know, cyclical recovery in some of these um, stocks that have really sold off, and that characterizes the ZDY, you know, with high weight in U.S. financials, U.S. banks, and again, U.S. banks had a very good performance. So um, I think right now we've got it positioned essentially as a satellite uh, position. You know, our core is defensive growth with the with the quality and a little bit of low ball. Um, you know, and the satellite is in dividends and financials. And I think I think part of the reason that it's a satellite is because we do see, you know, an, an, um, a potential to outperform um, kind of going forward over the next year or two. So I think it's attractive. You know, in, in, in terms of our covered calls, you know, we've talked on the call about, you know, this, this heightened level of volatility, which is, you know, even before the sell-off of the last week or so, you know, we still have heightened volatility. Now it's heightened even you know, it's gone up quite a bit in fixes in the 30s now, you know, presents a really attractive opportunity to earn yield. And again, if you're in a dividend-based strategy with a covered call, such as you know, ZWH or ZWG, um, you know, ZWE over in Europe, again, having that income stream, you know, these dividends are yielding 8 9 you know, 10% in the case of the U.S. banks gives you a really great cushion to start the year, and then we'll see where, where, where capital growth goes from there. I mean, I think we're pretty constructive over the next year or two, uh, but we, we can't guess the next you know, three months, or let alone week, you know, as a lot week has proved. But, um, but you know, over you know, a longer term basis, where we're confident in the recovery, um, net, net, I would say, not maybe for every single stock, but if overall comfort, comfortable about the recovery, we should see these exposures outperform. And again, with the cover call overlay, you're getting that much more income in the, in the meantime to kind of to help buffer your returns. So um, pretty, um, pretty constructive. And, and, and that's, you know, I think shows why we,
2: we have that kind of as a satellite weight in our portfolios. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us today. We, we really appreciate your time this morning and thank you of course, to both Matt and Chris. Uh, appreciate your insights uh covering some of the things that have been going on in the etf market uh, giving us some speaking points and ideas uh to bring back to our own practices in our own day so thank you for that and with that just like to wish everyone uh, a great day and uh, we appreciate your time thank you
1: thank you to mark race chris heeks and matt Montemiro for joining us on the bmo etfs podcast in today's episode we learned about the safe haven benefits of BMO GAM's Aggregate Bonds ETF, ticker ZAG. Our experts also weighed in on ZEM, the BMO Emerging Markets ETF, and why it isn't just for chasing returns, but an essential hedge against too much U.S. exposure. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or simply visit bmoetfs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe, and if you have any questions you'd like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N, at com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the Portfolio Manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time, without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investment should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward looking statement. Forward looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management.